the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. is one of the greatest divides in our country, the gap in wealth and culture between those who go to college and those who don't or can't even afford to. But does it have to be that way? Author Will Bunch writes in his new book about how higher education is polarizing us but doesn't have to, and how we can make it a public good rather than a source of strife and anxiety. That's next on Detroit Today, but first the news... From NPR. Good day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WD. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We talk a lot on this show about division and how divided our country seems right now. And when you think about those divisions, what do you think about? Politics, for sure, right? Uh, We are very politically divided in this country, not just in terms of how we vote or organize, but also in terms of where we live. Conservatives tend to live in less dense places. Their places are wider and more remote, perhaps, than other places. Liberals often live in bigger cities and suburbs. Uh, They're more secular and maybe more cosmopolitan. Of course, culture also divides us. In this country. And there are many places in America where you wouldn't think you were in America if you were from another place because things are so different. The way people think, the way they worship, the way they live. And maybe it's not a surprise that all of these divisions exist and seem like they're getting worse. Think of the way that the country is changing. It's growing more diverse. It's growing more unequal in many ways. And it is growing more agitated. But all of that plays out in lots of different smaller spaces in our lives. And there's one level of polarization that we don't talk about enough. And that's education and higher education in particular. The more highly educated someone is, the more they affiliate with the Democratic Party in our country. Fewer people who are conservatives tend to be into higher education in quite the same way. Will Bunch is an opinion columnist with the Philadelphia Inquirer, and he has been writing and thinking a lot about these ideas. He's got a new book out that's called After the Ivory Tower Falls. He particularly takes us to the places where our political differences are most obvious in and around college campuses, particularly in the middle of the country, college campuses like Kenyon College in Ohio, Notre Dame in Indiana, and even the University of Michigan. 
they look really different from the places that surround them. Bunch goes to a few liberal arts colleges and finds that people are split based on age, on class, geography, and educational attainment. And while the differences between these groups loom large, there is some overlap. The majority want stronger labor unions and higher minimum wages, and many, even those who are left behind and posit that they hate liberal colleges campuses, want the opportunity to go to attend a university or at least attend a good interactive trade school. But one question is, why is there this divide over education? Why are we so split about the value of higher ed, the cost of higher ed, and whether we see attaining a college degree as integral to the economic fortunes that we want everybody to have an equal shot at. In his book, Bunch takes on all of those issues and those questions, and we are really pleased to have Will Bunch here with us on Detroit Today. Will, welcome to Detroit. Yeah, yeah. thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You know, uh, 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 as you mentioned, there are several parts in the book where uh, University of Michigan, Michigan State, and uh, and Wayne Wayne State certainly uh, all kind of in many ways typified kind of the the rise of college as the American dream in America, and and then some of the struggles that have happened over the last forty years. So uh, uh, so it's uh, it's really great to be here. Yeah, yeah. So we are polarized, as I said, along a lot of lines, race and gender and geography. But as I said, all of those things play out through these other kind of spaces in our lives. And in your book, you are talking specifically about how we're polarized along educational lines. First, tell us how you know that's true and how we might know that that's true. Well, I, I you know, I, I come at this really from the perspective of a political writer. You know, I've been covering politics in America for more than 40 years, the first presidential election I covered was was Ronald Reagan's re-election in 1984. So, so I've been, I've been I have been thinking about these things for a long time, and and um, you know it, it's been fascinating to me to see over the course of my lifetime how, uh, as you mentioned in your intro, you know that the Democratic Party more and more uh, in each election cycle uh, is becoming the party of people with college degrees. And the Republican Party, in contrast, uh, has really tailored its pitch to voters uh, looking for people without college degrees. In fact, you know, playing on kind of a sense of grievance or resentment against this, you know, so-called professional managerial class or the, or the you know, the educated elites or the, or the eggheads or whatever you want to call them, you know. And, and, and we see that in every cycle. And, and you see it all the time, you know, just. Just this morning, I woke up and there was a, a big story in the New York Times about um, members of Congress who, uh, uh, you know, believe in, in, the, in the so-called big lie that that uh, uh, Joe Biden's 2020 election victory wasn't legitimate. And as they looked at it, they found that overwhelmingly the, the, the districts that have sent people to Congress to, uh, you know, believe in these falsehoods about election um, fraud come from districts with the lowest education levels. 
you know, it's a fascinating correlation. So, um, so we've seen this play out. And, and so, the, so the reason I wrote this book after the Ivory Tower falls is uh, uh, started out with my sense of just trying to understand how that came about. Mm-hmm. You know, if if education or if college is is the biggest factor in terms of looking at how people vote and, and what's dividing us. Well, then what is, well, what is it then about college and higher education that causes that? You know, that, that there has to be a correlation. What, what is it, you know, how has the experience of higher education in America evolved, you know, over, over the course of our lifetime that, that we've seen this change? So, that, so that's the story I try to tell in this book. And if you go back 30 or 40 years, uh, of course, there was always some kind of gap between those who had access to, to, to uh, college education and those who didn't. But there were things that, that leveled the playing field in ways that they don't now. Talk about how we've lost the, the kind of access that we used to have uh, that, that made it possible for people who maybe just didn't have any money at all uh, to still get that college education that was going to open up economic opportunity for. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a great story. You know, you know, historically for the, for the bulk of American history, uh, college has been targeted towards the elite, certainly for the first, you know, two thirds of American history. Uh, uh, You're talking about educating uh, people from elite, often, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant families uh, where the people benefiting from the tiny sliver of people who are going to college, you know, as recently as about 1940, only 5% of Americans had a bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, so college used to be for the very few. And then, then we had this period, which now looking back with, with the hindsight that we have today was kind of a, was kind of an anomaly perhaps, although it didn't seem like it at the time, you know, in the book, I, I basically described this as the golden age of college, which was the 1940s, 50s, 60s, into the 70s and, and maybe even up through the 80s, uh, as you mentioned, uh, when you're right, college was much more accessible, much more affordable, and 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 enrollment and just the, the percentage of American adults who who, who got higher education and, and who ended up earning their bachelor's degrees just exploded during this period of a couple generations. And um, that happened for a couple of reasons. One was kind of almost a fluke, which was, you know, we, we had this great experiment with what if we made higher education a public good uh, the way that K-12 education is, you know, that mm-hmm. the taxpayers gave people a, a government-funded opportunity to attend college. And that, that experiment was the GI Bill. Uh, now, obviously, it only targeted a certain sector of the population, which was um, uh, uh, returning veterans, uh, who obviously were overwhelmingly male, of course, and and also the program is kind of complicated. But uh, like so many programs, uh, you know, African Americans and others who weren't white tended to be disadvantaged somewhat. But but uh, that said, you know, those disadvantages stipulated. It was still a remarkable experiment in which people returning from World War II uh, were given not just free tuition, but a living stipend. You know, enough money to buy books and, and, and rent a place to live or, or live in a dorm and, and, and get their college degree. And um, this program was wildly successful. You know, more, more veterans enrolled in the program than anyone ever expected. Um, they turned out, according to 
their professors and university administrators said these were the best students they'd ever seen because they had a sense of purpose, they wanted to learn. And it really, I think, whetted Americans' appetite for this idea that college could be the American dream, you know, that the American dream has always been wanting to do better than your parents' generation. And after World War II, suddenly a light bulb went off that college was the way to do this, that giving people an opportunity to, to not just acquire knowledge, but then have a career where they, you know, work with their brain rather than working with their hands, which had been the, kind of the bulk of the U.S. economy before the 1940s. Yeah. And um, so enrollment expanded, you know, states like Michigan, you know, built these, you know, built up these new schools like Wayne State or, uh, uh, you know, uh, enrollment at the University of Michigan and Michigan State and, and schools like that uh, just, just went bonkers in the 1950s and early 1960s. Uh, and um, tuition was, was low, you know, in, in some states like California, it was free. You, right. know, you paid a few, you paid a few student fees, um, same, same thing at city university of New York. I mean, those were the exceptions, but uh, it was really just a few hundred dollars to attend uh, an excellent, you know, flagship state university, like the university of Michigan was, was affordable. And so, um, uh, um, uh, so, uh, yeah, so so that was the golden age. And in the book, I talk about how uh, one of the one of the one of the key points of that time was this belief in liberal education. You know that mm-hmm. that college was a way to not not just learn a career skill, but to learn a philosophy of life, to develop your critical thinking skills, to 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 to, to study an array of subjects in the in the humanities or or the social sciences. You know. Um, you know, it, it's schools like Michigan, people majoring in subjects like philosophy and, and sociology took off. Um, however, um, the 60s, turn, the 1960s turned out to be a very tumultuous time, as we all know. And, uh, um, you know, colleges became associated with student protests because these young people were using their critical thinking skills and, and, and the freedom they were being afforded by getting a college education. And they, and they were protesting things like racial segregation in the South, or uh, later in the 60s, they were protesting the Vietnam War. And, and you had a backlash. You know, the avatar of that backlash was Ronald Reagan. He was elected governor of California in 1966 uh, on a platform that was heavily uh, geared towards um, uh, cracking down on student protests at the University of Berkeley. And, and, and that won him a landslide victory. Um, you know, same thing with Richard Nixon, who ran promising law and order and, 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 and to, to clamp down on this kind of unrest. And, and, this, and, and this attitude, which, which Reagan summed up with a famous statement when he said, I don't think taxpayers should be funding the intellectual curiosity of young people. Mm. And this, this became a, a, a governing philosophy, you know. Um, uh, tuition did start to rise. You did, you did see thought leaders on the right, conservatives like Lewis Powell or the the economist James Buchanan making arguments that, you know, free free tuition or low tuition was encouraging student unrest and that we needed to change the system so that so that young people and their families had, you know, economic skin in the game. That college was basically an economic benefit that people should have to have to pay for. And um, you know, it this coincided with a bunch of other things. The um uh the, the economy started to worsen in the nineteen seventies. And, and the cost of college started to rise dramatically, and, and the government wasn't really making up the difference. The difference was to be made up by 
students or, or, or their parents. And uh, as, as tuition got bigger and bigger every year, the solution became taking out loans. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we went from student loans being not really a thing for, for people who came of age in the 60s and 70s to becoming a thing that is now this $1.75 trillion monster, yeah. you know, perhaps perhaps alleviated somewhat by President Biden's recent move. But, uh, you know, people, a lot of people are, you know, all of a sudden we're talking about this student debt crisis and people are asking, where did it come from? Well, it came from these decisions to basically privatize college and, and decide that higher education would not be a public good in America. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with uh, Will Bunch. He's an opinion columnist at the Philadelphia Inquirer. He's got a new book out called After the Ivory Tower Falls, How College Broke the American Dream and Blew Up Our Politics and How to Fix It. We're talking about the polarization that exists around the idea of going to college, the idea that uh, in order to fulfill your economic dreams in this country, uh, it is uh, preferable to have a, a higher education degree. It's also harder to get one, more expensive to get one than it has been in some recent years. That, of course, causes a lot of tension in our politics and in our culture and in other spaces. We want to hear from you during the conversation as well. What do you think of the divide, uh, not just in our politics, but in the spaces where we actually live, things like higher education? Do you think we are divided by higher ed, by who goes to college and who does not or who cannot? Uh, if so, tell us how this plays out uh, in your world. What does that look like, the decision to go to college, the decision to try to save up enough money or borrow enough money? to go to college? Uh, What do you make of the differences among us uh, when we think about uh, doing those things and endeavor to make our lives better through higher ed? Also give us a sense if you think uh, making trade school or having universal national service, for instance, would help weave our disconnected country together better. Should we be thinking differently about the value and importance of higher education. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can can work you back into the conversation uh, that way. Um, I want to talk about the idea of college as a public good, higher ed as a public good. Uh, you, you, you just did a very good job of talking about how we have fallen away from that uh, in the last couple of generations and and made it more of a privileged space. Um, but I want to talk about why it's important that it be a public good. What is the value of higher ed? There are a lot of people who say, we don't need uh, as many uh, uh, college graduates as, as we have. We don't need to emphasize college for everyone. Uh, but, but talk about how that and that pushback even fits into the narrative that says uh, higher ed is, is the key to, to a broader sense of prosperity uh, than, than we have right now. Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. Uh, you know, um, I mean, I mean, fundamentally, it, it's, when you think about college, there are really two basic questions about college that we've been debating 
for basically all all of the history of of having higher education in this country. And and the first is is really a basic one, which is what is college for? And we and we talked about this a little bit a minute ago. You know, is it is it to develop a philosophy of life and 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 just to to, to learn a, a vast array of subjects and become a better critical thinker, or should it just be really narrowly focused on your job skills? Like you you want to be a computer technician, you learn how to you know you learn how to fix computers, and 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 that's basically it. You know and uh, you know, and I guess the advantage of that is, you know, you're more focused. You can maybe do it in less time for less money. And, 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 and I mean, this is a big debate we're having right now. Uh, and then the other debate is, uh, you know, give, depending on how we answer the first question, is it society's responsibility, you know, all taxpayers to pay for education, which is, which is what we do now. Again, I want to stress, you know, for, for K through 12 education, right? Uh, if, if you if you don't have kids or if your kids you know grew up and moved away 20 years ago, you're still paying in your hometown for your public K through 12 schools. Mm-hmm. And, and we and we, but we don't do that for for higher education. But yet, I mean, as we all know, I mean, getting getting some form of higher education in this day and age is, is really as essential as getting a high school diploma was 75 years ago. Um, uh, uh, which is certainly one argument for. For, for making it a public good, I, I, I think I think part of the problem is in this debate is is we get hung up on the very traditional, you know, Ivy covered, you know, uh, uh, college campus that gives out a, a four year bachelor's degree, and, and we don't think more broadly about higher education because you know, and, and I and I try and touch on this in the book. In fact, uh, you know, in in the chapters on on how do we fix education, I. I do a long riff with a visit to a, to a trade school, you know, where, where, where people get a three-year associate's degree and, and learn to be carpenters or masons or, or landscapers, mm-hmm. um, you know, is, is, is kind of an alternative way of thinking of what we, what we need to be doing as a society for young people when they turn 18. Because, I mean, the fact is, right now, only, only 37% of Americans have a bachelor's degree. I mean... Uh, I mean, if you want to look at it more closely, probably it's, it's you know, a little bit more than a third with a bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, about a third of people do some college. Either they get an associate's degree at community college or, or they try a couple of years and crap out because of money or some other reason. Or, and, and you've got another third that's never going to set foot on a college campus. Yeah. And yet, yet everybody, I think everybody needs, some uplift when they turn 18, you know, <laughs> whether it's learning a trade or, uh, and you're right, in your question, I think you correctly noted that, uh, you know, particularly some conservatives are, are, are making this argument, well, you know, not everybody needs to go to college and, and, and maybe we should pull back and, and, and like encouraging people not to go to college, you know, that, that you're creating the situation where you're accumulating a lot of debt and, and, and maybe in the end it's not worth it. And we're, we're clearly, clearly we're in the middle of a vast rethinking of, of what the worth of college is and how to get the most out of this experience. You know, enrollment is dropping, uh, uh, which is which is quite a phenomenon. It started, you know, it, it was partly with the pandemic, but it's kept going since the pandemic. And um, uh, people people's faith in college and higher education as institutions uh, is is plummeting. So. Um, um, uh, so, so yeah, there, there, there is there is there is this vast rethinking, but 
you know, to get to the core of your question about the benefits of, of higher education, I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, clearly the economy benefits when we have a more skilled workforce, whether it's the knowledge skills of people with bachelor's degrees or graduate degrees, mm-hmm. or, or, or whether it's the skills of, you know, carpenters and masons, people with trade skills or, 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 or other skills. You know, I, I, everybody, everybody benefits from uh, uh, a better economy in that way. But, but, the, but the benefits to me really go way beyond economy. I mean, again, uh, you know, talking about the political divisions in this country, uh, you know, we, we need, we, we just don't need better workers. We, we need better citizens. Yes. I mean, I mean, right now we have uh, the highest rates of climate change denial in the world. Uh, we had uh, a pandemic where U.S. response was really marred by a lot of misinformation and disinformation about vaccines or masks or, 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 or phony, you know, cures, uh, those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. and, and right now we're dealing with this whole issue of the millions of people who believe, believe the big lie of right. election fraud. Right. We, need, you know? we uh, need to take a yeah. quick break, Will, and, and, uh, and I want to come back to these points, of course, uh, when, when we're back. Uh, we're going to be right back with more Detroit Today. We'll continue with Will Bunch, but we'll also get to you on the phones and on social. Tom in Macomb Township, Z in Detroit. Uh, Simone in Madison Heights, Robert in Detroit, you'll be up first. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking with Will Bunch. He's a national opinion columnist with the Philadelphia Inquirer. He's got a new book out called After the Ivory Tower Falls, How College Broke the American Dream and Blew Up Our Politics and How to Fix It. We're talking about the value and importance of higher ed, the cost of higher ed, and the divisions that have cropped up around the idea of those who get degrees from institutions of higher education and those who don't, those who maybe can't afford to. Uh, As always, we want to hear from you on the phones as well. Do you think that education is one of the divisive issues that we're dealing with in our politics, in our culture? Uh, What would you do about that? How would you change accessibility for instance, to higher ed. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you in the conversation that way. Let's start today with Tom in Macomb Township. Tom, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Mm -hmm. Just want to jump in, uh, listen to your show every morning, love it. Um, You know, uh, uh, real quick, uh, I've uh, got two degrees, a uh, graduate degree. My wife is a, a professional. She's an educator. We have four kids, uh, three years. So, uh, you know, they're all mm-hmm. college age now. And, uh, you know, we're not going to be able to put them through college. So my uh, two of my sons, oldest, uh, you know, we kind of 
we're coaching them all the way through that, you know, you're going to have to help yourself uh, if you want to go to college. And I you know, did well in school, took AP classes, got those credits, and uh, both worked their way through school locally, uh, you know, working for some fast food companies here that you know uh, that uh, provide genu- genuous, genuine, I can't say the word, generous uh, tuition reimbursement. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, got some uh, academic help, and uh, lo and behold, uh, one just graduated uh, from Wayne State University, no debt. Wow. Uh, my other, other one's going to graduate uh, in a year and a half from now, again, no debt. So, you know, again, as you all know, uh, you know, working through school is, is difficult, but I uh, learned valuable life lessons, and you can get through an institution uh if you work hard, you know, uh, uh, I just want to say that. So recognize the uh, the uh, difficulty, uh, sure. you know, the expense putting kids through school. Just uh, wanted to let you know if there's a will, there's a way you can do it. So, so Tom, before I have uh, Will Bunch respond, uh, I, I want to hear just a little more about uh, y- your story. As you said, you didn't feel like you were going to be able to afford to put your kids through through college um, without some help from them. But, but I, I guess my question is whether you felt what actually how that made you feel. In other words, um, does it feel like it's unfair? that there are these hurdles, these financial hurdles to getting, you know, a, a college degree and that uh, that it, it was, I mean, it doesn't sound like it was terribly difficult, but but it was something that you had to kind of think about and work at to, to, to figure out how to do. Should it have been easier, I guess, for you is the question, Tom. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I don't know if fair or unfair is, the issue, you know, you just got to deal with the, <laughs> right. the cards, cards in front of you, you know, and, uh, you know, two of my kids uh, really wanted to, you know, uh, get a college education and the value of it. I mean, certainly when I went through school, uh, it was much, much cheaper. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I know you, you talked about this uh, earlier in the segment. Uh, I got my third son uh, going through the trade route and learning a skilled mm-hmm. trade. So, mm-hmm. and as you all know here, there's such a demand for uh, workers in the skilled trades, uh, you can go through trade school and uh, almost cost-free uh, uh, itself. So, you know, I, I guess you got to play the game, right, that's in front of you. Sure. Uh, life's expensive. But I think there's opportunities out there to minimize the cost. Uh, if you look hard and, and, and work hard, and, uh, uh, yeah, I, I know uh, uh, postgraduate school is pretty expensive. It uh, is. Well, so they're going to be on their own for that. But, uh, yeah, uh, life's expensive. But, uh, uh, um, yeah, I agree with you, though. It's, Tom, uh, yeah. It's, yeah, I really appreciate yeah. you calling and sharing your story and sharing as much detail as you did about uh, what's going on. And, uh, and, again, you know, good luck with with all of your kids and, and what they want to do. Uh, Will Bunch, this yeah. this is, is such a familiar <laughs> such yeah. a familiar I mean, tale. I, mean, I was just going to say, I was going to say that. I mean, that was a great call because it really touched on so many of the issues. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, to me, I just I just I agree. And, and you you touched on it in your question. I mean, that there's just a fundamental uh, issue of generational fairness here. Right. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, Tom didn't have to jump through all those hoops uh, when he was getting his two degrees, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that it was it, it was affordable and he didn't have to work at a fast food restaurant and, and do all those things. And, it, you know, and it's complicated because. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, we we decided to brand ourselves as a meritocracy in this country, and so the people who do what Tom 
kids have done so admirably, you know, and and worked hard to get the, their way through, through school, you know. Um, uh, you know, we, we, we brag about those stories, and, and, and we use that to justify the system we have now. But it, it's, it's more complicated than that. I mean, the meritocracy is, is a fundamentally unfair system. You know, it, it, you know, I mean, think about, for example, you know, think about the disadvantages that, that, that black and brown folks have mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a society with, with white privilege to try and, to try and uh, you know, make up this deficit uh, uh, the kids are expected to make up nowadays. Uh, for, for one thing, mm-hmm. and and um, uh, you, you know, uh, not everybody's circumstances are the same. People people may have you know alien parents or other things at home that make it very hard to go to go that route when, when we don't make higher education uh, a, a public good. And 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 and, and, as, and as many of folks have realized, you know, uh, the meritocracy is rigged in many ways for the most privileged people, whether it's the thousands of dollars that, that wealthier families can spend on SAT prep or SA coaching for their kids to, to get into the right schools, or, or, or whether it's things like legacy admissions so that if you went to a good school, then your kid has an unfair advantage of, of getting into that same school. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, while it's great to tell the stories of the winners in the meritocracy, like Tom Funds or uh, his kids, but... Um, uh, the real story of the meritocracy is much more complicated, and I, I really I think we need to take a step back and say, does it really need to be this way? You know, do we really need to make young people jump through all the hoops that those those kids had to jump through to get yeah. just to get it just to get a bachelor's degree? Yeah, yeah. Again, Tom, really appreciate uh, the call, and of course uh, your candor. Uh, let's go next to Zio in Detroit. Zio, welcome to the show. Oh, hey. Hey, how's it going? Good. Uh, yeah, so I, I was just looking at it in the, in the, from the standpoint that uh, we don't see the uh, writing on the wall as Americans. Um, some decisions that we made uh, or our leaders made 50 and 40 years ago to uh, defund education and essentially make it private has set us up in a place where, you know, we have um, 300 and 65 billion a million people here in the u.s approximately and 10 percent of us have degrees mm-hmm. uh so that's about 30 million uh individuals and it's not that we don't need these professionals uh but when you compare it to the world let's just look at china for example there's 1.5 billion chinese people and every year they graduate 30 million people with professional degrees so mm-hmm. they're graduating engineers and doctors and lawyers and scientists, uh, 30, 30, 30 million a year. Uh, and the, the quality that they're putting out is, is, is tremendous. And, you know, um, it's not so much what we can do to do, do about that is it's, it's recognized that, uh, you know, um, we had a place of abundance and strategic, uh, advantage for for a long time and we really just didn't do anything with it yeah uh, we have yeah. these growth inequalities yeah. in between Zio, um, that's a great it, it's a great point uh well bunch uh, go ahead and, and respond to what he's saying here especially that com- right. the comparison to, to a country like china yeah well you, you know I, I mean comparisons um between the united states and other countries are important but, but they can be complicated because there's so so many factors involved i mean um I mean, I mean, the truth is, 
uh, we still have tens of thousands of, of, of young, brilliant Chinese people uh, come or want to come to the United States mm-hmm. to get their higher education. And, and, and that's the thing that's, that's what's kind of fascinating about higher education is, uh, you know, while, while obviously there are ways that the quality of American universities can always improve, but, um, uh, you know, and, and there's, I think, uh, a, a good debate going on right now about how rigorous our universities are, for example, and, and, and we should be having those debates. But the, but the bottom line is uh, the, problem, the problem with our universities isn't the quality of them. The quality is pretty good because that's why so many international students are clamoring to come here. The problem is affordability and access for, for American citizens, to, you know, from the middle class to, to, to attend these schools. I mean, I, mean, I, think, uh, I think that's where we're really failing. But mm. But, you know, in regard to the caller's point, I mean, I mean, obviously, uh, uh, governments make budget decisions uh, based on their priorities. And clearly, in the last 40 years, we deprioritized higher education. And, that, and, we, and we never really had a good debate about this. And it kind of happened without people really paying a lot of attention. Like in my state of Pennsylvania, uh, in the late 20th century, taxpayers funded 75% of our state public university system. Hmm. Uh, today, that number is only 25%. I mean, that's a huge decrease. And, and the difference is made up in tuition. And, and when, you, when you say the difference is made up in tuition, it's, that ends up being the loans that these families take out so that their kids can, can attend these colleges, as opposed, to the gov- as opposed to all of us funding this uh, you know, as a public good for the betterment of society. And, and that's a decision that we've made. You know, Pennsylvania is also one of 17 states that um, spends more money on prisons than it does on its public universities. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know w- whether we're funding the Pentagon or whether we're funding prisons or whether we're funding universities, these are, these are decisions about our values as a society that, that, our, that our leaders and our elected officials are making. And, and, and clearly, we, for whatever reason, we de-emphasized higher education in the last 40 years and, 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 and the crises we're seeing right now are, are the result of that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation with Will Bunch about his book, uh, After the Ivory Tower Falls. We'll also continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. Uh, Becca in Royal Oak, uh, Ken and Troy, Robert in Detroit. We'll get to you next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is always the number here on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. always, thanks for tuning in. Our guest is Will Bunch. He is a national opinion columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer. He's got a new book out called uh, After the Ivory Tower Falls, How College Broke the American Dream and Blew Up Our Politics. 
and how to fix it. That's what we're talking about is the role that higher ed plays in our culture, in our politics, in the divisions that we see in America. I want to hear from you, of course, during the conversation as well. Do you see this division playing out in your life, in your world? And what would you have us do differently to make that look differently, maybe to make higher ed more accessible than it is right now. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can try to work you into the conversation that way. Uh, I want to read a couple of social media comments before we get back to the phones. Tobias on uh, Twitter says, I think the death of the liberal arts degree has had a profound negative effect on the country as a whole. It's all about specialization and not about a well-rounded education. Amanda says, we have a terrible problem of setting up degree paths and skilled trades as false hierarchy, and that feeds into the us regular folk versus those smarty pants. It's not. We have to reframe what college is for. Seems like skilled trades are more like grad level specialty uh, than undergrad. Really interesting observation there. Uh, Let's go back to the phones uh, to Becca in Royal Oak. Becca, welcome to the show. Hi, good morning. Um, I appreciate this uh, conversation. I look forward to reading this book. Um, I'm a professor, I'm a faculty member and a department chair at Oakland University. And so we have a lot of conversations about the impact of the what we call the demographic cliff, that there's just fewer traditionally college-aged people. Hmm. Um, and so that, you know, our university is really, you know, like 80% dependent on tuition dollars um, for revenues. And so there's a lot, there's daily conversations about budget cuts, um, what kind of cuts we're facing this year due to um, decreasing enrollment. We've seen this coming for a decade at least. Um, and still, you know, I think it's been, um, you know, enhanced with COVID, but we knew this was coming. It's here. And now there's cuts happening. And as a department chair, I don't get to make decisions about where cuts are, but I need to make sure that we continue to offer you know, quality, high, high education to our students, which I think we do, but I worry about the future if we don't increase, you know, public investment in higher education, if we have to keep making cuts, do we cut faculty members, do we cut programs, are we going to have the, what we need to, you know, meet the needs of our community um, in higher ed, are we going to have mm. the ability to train the professionals we'll need um, to just sustain, you know, what we sure. know as our society and our life. Um, mm. Are there going to be enough healthcare professionals, for example? Right. Uh, Becca, before I go back to Will, I want you to talk just a little about the kind of place Oakland for us in the, the, the uh, sort of on the spectrum of higher ed choices here in, in, um, in Southeast Michigan. I know it's uh, one of the public universities that, that we have, but, but it's a little different in terms of who it serves. Uh, Sure. Yeah. So we're located about 20 miles uh, north of Detroit, and we serve a lot of Oakland, Macomb, and Wayne County. Interestingly, we are the university that gets the lowest per student um, amount of money from the state. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there's been a lot of advocacy to try to change that. Um, But we certainly serve those counties, which are also some of the higher populated counties um, in the region. It is a public university. Um, A lot of us a lot of times are thought of as a commuter school. Um, we have a lot of first-generation college students, a lot of um, you know, children of immigrants mm-hmm. um, who, who um, you know, might be the first ones in their family to go to college or graduate school. So it's, it's a really um, 
great place to teach and to feel like you can have an impact hmm. on your uh, community. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah, I don't know no. if those are some of the things that you're no, looking that's for. Great. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great description. Thanks so much for the call. Um, will Bunch respond to what yeah. Beck is talking about these tensions at uh, a place like Oakland? Yeah, well, I, I mean, a couple things. One, I, I should just mention, you know, I mean, schools like Oakland. I mean, I mean, that was great that you talked about that a little bit because schools like this are really the backbone of of what higher education is, mm-hmm. and 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 I, I say that because. You know, if, if you get your news about higher education by reading, say, the New York Times or the Washington Post, um, you know, that they, they have an unfortunate tendency, I think we can all agree, to focus on, on the elite schools, you know, Ivy League schools and, 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 and elite private institutions. And, and they're obviously important and newsworthy, but, but uh, you know, really when you talk about the mission of higher education to, to again, this American dream of doing better than, than the generation before you, of gaining new skills and, and moving up the economic ladder a little bit. You know, these, these public universities, these commuter schools, these schools that cater to first-generation uh, college students are, are just so, so important, and yet, and yet they're so ignored. You know, I mean, again, here, here, you know, as she said, uh, 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 the funding there is the lowest uh, in the state. They've had to deal with these cutbacks. And, and, and again, these cutbacks have happened over 20, 30, 40 years without, without much of a public debate about what, what our policy was or, or, or why we were doing this, uh, you know, which is unfortunate. I mean, I mean, these schools are basically facing a triple whammy. I mean, the, I mean, the demographic trends that she mentioned, unfortunately, are, are outside their control. I mean, there's just nothing you can do about that, and, and, and that is a factor. And, and, uh, 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 but, 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 you also have, but you also have people now, because, of the worsening situation and, 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 you know, higher tuition and, uh, you know, and, and the loan crisis, you have more people questioning the value of college itself. Mm-hmm. And then that's also, and that's also affecting enrollment, you know, and, uh, you know, and making decisions to, you know, defer college or not go to college and enter the workforce or, or, you know, or pursue different options. And, and, uh, you know, I, I mean, I mean, I hope we, I hope we have this debate about funding education because, um, I mean, to me, that's at the core of the solution. And, and again, it's a question of priorities. You know, I mean, I mean, obviously, it would take a major change in policy to be able to make public universities free or, or nearly free the way that they were 50 years ago. But but you can make those changes. You could you could have a wealth tax or a Wall Street mm-hmm. transaction tax or some new revenue source and say this is important to us as a society that we do this. And so you know, people. People, maybe people who benefited, or people or corporations that have benefited from the inequality in American society. Maybe, maybe there's a way to make them pay for for education that would make society less less unequal. Yeah. So that's a debate we should be having. Yeah. Yeah. Again, uh, Becca, really appreciate the call and the and the comments. Well, before we have to end, I I do want to give you a chance to talk about. Uh, some of the solutions that you lay out uh, in the book, including the National Service Plan, which is kind of a, 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 a pet project of my own. I, I mean, I, I love the idea of national service for a lot of reasons, but but equalizing, I think, this higher ed, um, this higher ed playing field is is one of them. Yeah. So, you know, in the book, I mean, I, I, I talk a lot just, just more philosophically than, uh, you know, this, this is not like a, an ed tech book. I, you know, I don't really drill <laughs> down into, into very 
specific things that universities need to be doing. Mm-hmm. But, but, but I do think we need to kind of turn the, turn the battleship around uh, on policy, you know, that, 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 that higher education should be a public, seen as a public good and not as a private, privatized uh, thing, that we should, uh, you know, realize that this, these recent generations have been wronged and we should, we should support some level of, some high level of debt uh, cancellation. Uh, uh, you know, we should have a universal approach that includes trade schools and internships and other options. And, 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 and finally, I do devote the last chapter of the book to this idea of universal, uh, uh, you know, civilian uh, public service, mm-hmm. the idea of having a gap year for 18-year-olds uh, that the government would support, where people, uh, instead of necessarily going straight off to college or, in the case of the millions who don't go to college, uh, you know, dropping off the face of the universe, and instead, uh, you know, we have this year where uh, uh, people are, are, are encouraged and, and given benefits to, to sign up for conservation projects or working in disadvantaged communities. Uh, you know, and, and we, 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 we've seen templates for this, you know, that going back to FDR Civilian Conservation Corps and, and uh, you know, VISTA and these other programs that we've, we've had over the years. I mean, we know what these programs look like. And, and, and the thing is, you know, uh, we, we all agree that the biggest overriding problem we're facing right now is, is our political division, you know, that uh, to the point where people are talking about are we on the brink of another civil war, but yet people don't really talk much about solutions. Like, well, what can we do about this? And, and to me, the idea of bringing people from different backgrounds and different parts of the country, people from red states and blue states and people, you know, people from Detroit and people from the upper peninsula and, and, uh, you know, um, uh, people from, uh, very different social backgrounds and worldviews coming together, to, to work on these projects and getting to know each other uh, could absolutely help, yeah. you know. Uh, and uh, uh, people forget that we that we used to do this, but we used to do it with the military, right? right. We had a draft, and and people from different backgrounds fought together in in, in, in World War II or Korea, and uh, uh, and there was a social benefit to that. There was also a huge downside, which was that people were fighting wars, which were terrible. So. Uh, you know, what if, what if you got the, the benefits of that kind of uh, bringing together of people, but without the downside of, of, of military conflict, and instead you were doing things to better society, you know, better, uh, you, know, cl- you know, clean up the forest and, and, and help prevent wildfires or, or give more aid to schools in some of these Rust Belt communities that are, that are struggling. Um, so I, I just think that would be uh, a huge plus. I, you know, I... I I, I did a I did an event at Northwestern University in Chicago this week uh, outside Chicago this weekend, and uh, when I mentioned that, I, I was kind of stunned by people people in the audience applauded just at the mention mm. of, of of this idea. And like you said, you're you're a big fan of it yourself, and mm. I think it's a really popular idea. It, it's always there on the back burner, and maybe it's time we move it up to the front burner and 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 see what we can do about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, partially uh, my enthusiasm is about creating common experiences, which I think yeah. are very hard to, to come by. Yeah. Okay, well, Bunch, uh, it was really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Congratulations on the new book. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much for having me, and thanks for talking about it. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Okay, this, that's going to do it for us today. We will be back tomorrow, and we will talk with Democratic candidate Carl Marlinga, 
who's running in the 10th Congressional District, which is in Macomb County. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.